So welcome everyone to the MediaWorks Digital Masterclass uh, number 133. Today we're here to talk about the business-to-business buying landscape and specifically to talk about um, what marketers in the B2B space can learn from e-tailers. So the B2B market has historically been very different than the B2C retail market. Um, And in recent years, forward-thinking B2B sellers are starting to adapt the progressive or adopt the progressive techniques from their consumer-focused peers. So um, before we dive into it, um, I thought we'd just do a few introductions. So my name's Chris Coulson. I'm Group Marketing Director here at MediaWorks. We have a special guest for everyone today, um, who is Andy um, Scudden. Andy, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, morning. Thanks, Chris. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm the uh, one of the roles I do is the chair of the Digital and Technology Forum for the Builders Merchant Federation. But um, I was the founder of a company called Ecom and Sense, which um, specialises in e-commerce B2B platforms for people in the construction products industry. But um, I suppose for latterly, formally to that, uh, sorry, I was um, e-commerce multi-channel director for Juice, which was a 600 branch, 1.6 billion turnover. B2B business selling building products. So um, a fair bit of experience in that in that vertical. Great. Looking forward to, uh, to hearing your thoughts on this. And thanks for joining us, Andy. And um, we've also got Tom Chandler, who's our head of paid search and shopping. Do you want to say hello, Tom? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm looking forward to kind of covering a, a number of topics today. Um, kind of my role at MediaWorks is looking after all of the Google advertising and Microsoft advertising activity that we do um, at MediaWorks for our, our B2B clients, but also our retailers, hopefully um, sharing some thoughts and learnings in terms of what, we, what we've seen change um, over, over recent years. Great. And we've also got James Johnson, who is our head of paid social and video. Hello, James. Hi, yeah, so I'm, I'm similar to Tom, uh, the, the sort of head of the paid social branch at, here at MediaWorks, so covering off all different channels, some big B2B ones such as LinkedIn, um, and then some more consumer-centric ones like your TikToks, your, your Instagrams, etc. Um, but lots of experience across both markets with um, lots of different industries and lots of different sectors, so we should, have, we should be able to have a, a, a good uh, conversation today. Good stuff. Thanks, James. Right then, so we're going to use very broad subject today. Um, we're going to, you know, we're talking about beta bathe, huge amount of sectors, huge amount of um, different types of markets there, but um, and the same with retail and, and beta disease. So we're going to try to be quite generalist. But to set the scene, um, the title of the masterclass today is you know, what can marketers learn from e-tailers? So let's kick off with um, what do we think B2B marketers have to learn or the differences um, from their retail cousins, if you like? Cool. So I think like looking at it from um, my standpoint, when we're looking at paid search and Google, I think when we look at sort of online retailers, um, they've been pioneers in the digital landscape um, over the last five years, but in particular, if we think about how they have um, had to supercharge their activity through, you know, coming through periods such as COVID in terms of the importance of being able to um, 
reach customers online and also be able to take advantage of a more competent um, digital population that is more um, accessible and comfortable with using digital um, technology. And I think what we've we've certainly seen um, from from retailers, I guess, the importance of of a company's website ultimately being your um, new version of a sales team in terms of how you engage with users, how you interact with users, and that is something that from a B two B area is something that potentially wasn't always the priority, or it's something that is is not quite to the same scale. For example, with with B two C and with retailers, um, in terms of how much importance and how much I guess focus is placed on that to ultimately drive the, the value for, for your business. Things like the importance of how you're interacting with, with content, how you're interacting with, with the users, all of those types of components um, are really important in terms of what we've seen work really well um, recently from the, the retail side of things and the increasing like um, importance in the B2B landscape to be more competitive in that area. I think one of the, the really big areas, and, and this is more so from a technical standpoint, where retailers have always had the advantage when it comes to performance marketing activity, in the sense that if we have a scenario where we have a retailer that drives 100 orders, those 100 orders, um, 100 sales, they all have a unique value. So you've got 100 people that potentially um, bought something. Someone could have bought something for £100. £10, £50, maybe even £1,000. So there's different users there, different customers that have very different values that we need to consider that you're marketing to them and um, acquiring them at different profitability objectives. Now, that sounds fantastic and it's something that has allowed many retailers to scale their marketing activity and develop far more advanced strategies. In the B2B area, that obviously isn't quite straightforward because often when I've seen it and spoke to clients is we're purely basing things on a, an assumed cost per acquisition target based on assumed average order values or values for leads. So we've got 100, um, using the same scenario, we've got 100 um, leads that have been submitted, inquiries, and they all have very different values in terms of some that will be qualified, some that will be um, you know, not, not valid, and some that will be incredibly valuable. Being able to use that data is so important to plug into, for example, the likes of Google to assign value to campaigns and keywords and ads that have driven you the most valuable inquiries and therefore customers so you can drive more of those. That kind of is what we would refer to as value-based bidding. You're ultimately looking to target your performance marketing activity to achieving a specific value of, of a customer as opposed to not looking past the point of I've acquired that customer, I've acquired that um, inquiry. As I say things like value-based bidding are, are a really important point. What that's underpinned by is offline conversion uploads. So if we are using, if we're taking the 100 inquiries, for example, that a business has been generating um, and then apply those values, it's really important to then pass that information back into Google so that we can take the learnings forward and, and ultimately make our performance marketing activity far more strategic, but also far more profitable to make sure that we're driving um, searches and conversions from the right customers. And really what sits at the foundation of all of this is measurement and multi-touch attribution, which is probably one of the points that I'll, I'll look to cover later on. But it, it's again, a user journey is increasingly more um, complex. We, we kind of look at things like the messy middle that we, we often refer to um, in terms of a user's um, buying journey. That same process is similar to, to B2B, so it's increasingly important to make sure that we understand um, the touch point a user has had on their journey to generate an inquiry, generate a lead, 
so that again we understand what touch points, what campaigns, what channels are ultimately driving value and the decision making process there is far more data driven so we can do more of the stuff that is driving value to the business and do less of the stuff that isn't quite simply. Yeah, I suppose that's it Tom, loads loads to unpack there. I think when you look, when I always look at different sectors, I always think about e-tailers, they've been around 20 years, you know, instead of having their their kind of uh, the high street, you know, they didn't focus on that. They didn't have those costs. Instead, they invested in search engine results page. They were first to adopt sort of a lot of digital advertising platforms. Uh, instead of the shop, you know, instead of the shop, they had the kind of the website and the sales team was the website and the landing pages too. So they've kind of always been ahead of the curve. And I know you guys work a huge amount with e-tailers because they're almost kind of the first adopters aren't they and then i suppose a little bit behind that adoption curve you've got other sectors and industries james anything to to add to that yeah i I think one of one of the sort of key points that tom mentions is is that like and and you touched on it too is that e-tailers specifically have a much more well-rounded customer journey they sort of know who needs to know about the product, how to build that initial that initial stage awareness and, and sort of how to really nurture people through. Whereas from a B2B standpoint, it's a much more complicated process in a lot of instances. A lot of the time, you're not just focusing on one person. It's not a one person buyer decision in, in many of those businesses. It, it, it can be multiple. Um, so there is, there is an awful lot of value in terms of like actually taking some of those principles in terms of how do we structure from, from the start to build brand and to drive them through, which I'm sure we'll cover off and, and, and touch touch on later on. Um, but I think that's a, a really important um, part to, to sort of consider. Secondly, like the market is, from a paid social perspective, like we target audiences, we target people. Um, so in, in your in your B2B functions, you're still targeting the, those same people that will exist in consumer audiences, and you actually start to compete with potential um, retail markets in terms of CPM costs and, and market costs. So B2B marketers do have to factor that in. Like we're about to go into one of the biggest retail periods um, of the year in terms of Black Friday. Costs across all marketplaces, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Instagram, TikTok, they will all increase because there's a much heavier impact of, of sort of retail there and the buyer cycle has shifted. So you have to sort of factor both sides in um, and make sure that you're tailoring your your B2B activity to sort of align with how those market trends are, are, are going to go. Um, and, and really just just think about think about it in the same sense that you think about a, a sort of a nurturing um, buyer journey and focus on the, the, the users and those decision makers, um, which which, as you can see, like are, can be multiple people at different, at different businesses. And um, so there's, there's quite a lot there and there are similar similarities and particularly in the broad in the broad strokes and, and, and principles um of, of the of the activity yeah focus on the principles andy from a, a a man with so much business to business experience how how do you see the, the differences between the the kind of consumer e-tail buyer 
and the, the business-to-business e-commerce experience. I mean, it all comes down to share of wallet, loyalty, and longevity of that customer. So if you look at lifetime value of a B2B customer, they, they might be customers with the business for 5, 10, even 20 years. And certainly in our vertical and many others as well, you know, whether it's building materials or office supplies or whatever it is, they will probably have a credit account which they'll charge against and it's essential that they're able to do those sorts of things. So they, they put it on their bill effectively and pay those bills off monthly. And of course, part of that whole journey is to say, okay, can I manage my account? Can I see what I'm owed? Can I get my specific prices? So when you're looking at anything to do with paid marketing or, or attracting new customer base, the reason you're going to do that is to grow your business because unless you really upset your existing customer base, they generally won't leave you. You know, it's it's not all about price for B2B. It's about the service and being able to source things for them. So I think the fundamental differences here for me are uh, retail can be very fickle and, you know, it can be a campaign mentality where when you're looking at a B2B business, you're looking at a relationship and and a brand, but a very different way to build a brand than you would in the in the retail space. I think the difficulties faced by B2B businesses is that they've got often legacy systems that are very, very difficult to shape around a, a really um, slick customer experience. And so, you know, they they tend to lose out online to um, e-tailers because they've built there specifically to be able to be agile for changing environments. And you know, I suppose in our space, what we see is um, an aging customer group is within five years of retirement the big question is, where do I find new customers from and how do I attract them into our business? And of course, many of those people are going to be millennials who, whose first port of contact will be the web through their mobile phone. So the principles of uh, retail marketing do apply to attract a new customer base, but it's a very different proposition to then keep them in your business once they're aware of you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and I, I know it, it's an interesting one. There's, there's some research come out that the UK um, consumer is the most e-tail savvy consumer. I think it is different when you're in when you're an e-tailer, a hundred percent, and you just pure play e-tail rather than retail. Hundred percent, your revenue is coming from e-commerce, isn't it? You don't tend to see that huge amount in the business to business. It's one of the channels where you're going to attract new clients rather than 100%. And I think that's what stood out to me when I was looking at the um, the title of this this webinar. It's you can certainly learn from e-tailers because they are absolutely committed to that that platform, that channel for customer acquisition. Well, I think I think there's a there is an interesting point there, Chris, is because the difference between attracting and retaining customers. So what I've seen in the office product space, for example, back in 1996, around about 1% of office products would be sold online. And today, that's something close to 70 or even 80%. But it's it's still the same B2B customers that would have come through recommendation, through longevity of relationship, but they've just moved their the way they transact to be online and through a B2B portal or web, website rather than being brand new to the business. Now, when you look at construction product materials, you know, at the moment, we're probably around about 3% of all construction products sold online. I see no reason why they won't want to be serviced online to the same degree that office products do. So what you're seeing is this massive shift. I think this comes back to the fact that most B2B buyers nowadays are, well, certainly by um, 2025, 
the statistics suggest that 75% of the workforce will be digital natives and therefore most B2B buyers are going to research online, they want to trade online, but it will still be with the businesses have got that, that branch based back up and, and the you know branch network with stock on the ground and all those other things that they've enjoyed over the years. Yeah, so it's very interesting. So before we start and move down, if we're, we're going to apply the, the traditional sales funnel and we can talk about kind of customer acquisition, we can move into, you know, um, brand salience, evaluation, transaction and customer loyalty. If we, if we move back up to the top of the funnel, we, we move down, um, you know, customer journeys are complex as ever. But James, could you maybe talk a little bit about, um, you know, business to business, um, building brand, how business to business clients can um, learn from e-tailers in building the brand at the top of that funnel. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, like, we sort of touched on it up, up at the start, but, like, uh, the, the B2B buyer journey, it typically is, is, is longer than, that, than your traditional e-commerce customer experience. It's more of a, there's more room in that to build relationships. And you might have to build relationships with multiple parties. You might need to get, um, like like uh, the finance team need to be involved, maybe procurement needs to be involved. There's a few different people that, that have different touch points in that decision-making process. And that can let, let, uh, lead itself to, to sort of longer than average customer journeys, which can pose problems in a di digital sphere when you've got to think about how do we attribute and, and like how can we measure that, that full journey through, through the through the like through the platforms themselves, which do have limitations in terms of lookbacks, etc. But that makes it more and more important to actually work on that top of the funnel piece and to to be not so much focused in market, and um, but rather focus at like at the the wider marketplace itself. Build, talking about building your brand, um, I think that like there's a the sort of 95 to five um, percent rule where we're actually like only five percent of your market is actually in market. Um, and, and sort of and actually sort of targetable and that's where most people focus their stuff because that's the action orientated area but really like we we need to be thinking about how do we actually turn people who may not have the the necessarily the need to buy right now how do we develop our presence so that we're we're targeting uh, that we're able to convert those it's about being present and sort of establishing the, the brand present the brand image that we want to project and that can be done through like multiple different methods across multiple different channels. Um, and I think one of the, the like the really interesting things to sort of think about is like there's a misconception around advertising that sort of suggests that the job of the ad, ad is to um, move more people into market, whereas ads don't really move buyers into the market. They don't move the person into the market themselves. Only the buyer is going to make that decision decision when they're good and ready so we need to make sure that that buyer when they do move into the market is thinking about our brand and our product and so i think b2b and like wider trends in general are going to move more towards a brand presence with with, with a sort of advent of of um automation and, and sort of loss of like so some of the more niche narrow targeting audiences are sort of developing out and expanding and, and, and platforms are removing some of them like facebook etc everything's going a bit broader because it works better for the automation making it the perfect time to start to think about really pushing 
your brand at a sort of more top of the funnel level and, and really trying to establish yourself in the market as either a market leader or, or, or market insight. Um, and I think that sort of touches on what the most important part of, of building brand and, and, and that sort of includes. It's like, how do you change those perceptions? How do you create that perception? It's really about the content. It's, it's important, like, like content is so key um, when we're talking about how we're building up a funnel awareness. If, we, if we're on LinkedIn and we're advertising to business, the content needs to be something that's insightful and useful to people who are, are your target audience, but are not necessarily in the market to buy your product. So think about activity, like uh, content such as case studies or infographics or useful um, useful information that will bring people to your brand and to, to sort of really understand, like to feel like they're getting value from it without necessarily getting the product. And through that, you can actually start to nurture those those customer prospects. Um, LinkedIn is very powerful for that because we can target the sector, you can target the company, you can target the job titles that we're going after that will be decision makers uh, in that journey. And if we're providing them with the content that sort of informs their, their business decisions, helps them um, understand a bit more about the market, they'll already have um, sort of an inbuilt uh, resonance with the brand itself. Um, and we can start to nurture those through like retargeting and video engages or, or even just targeting specific prospect lists and, and making sure that we're feeding them um, information seasonally each quarter depending on like uh, the industry itself and really start to nurture those journeys so that when they decide to move themselves into market we're front of mind your business is already there they know who you are and they they, they know the product that you're, you're selling so they're much more inclined to sort of make that shift and, and, and sort of jump in and um, I think, with, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, yeah, it's the, you know, the 95.5 rule you were, you were talking about. That's, there was the research for the uh, LinkedIn B2B Institute last year, which was the Ehrenberg Bar stuff, which said, I think businesses change the solicitors, the banks every five years. So 20% of, um, so um, only 20% of your buyers are in market every year. In every quarter, it's 5%, isn't it? So there's the, the argument there that um, it doesn't matter if you're a B2C or B2B buyer, you're not likely to buy from someone unless you've got good memory links with them, you've got brand-relevant memories, and that you've got a relationship. And then that tends to bring up all these metrics we've talked about at the start, you know, your, your cost per acquisition, your cost per click, all that rises when you have a positive feeling towards a, a, a business or a supplier. I, I, I'm often shocked I'll be targeted on Instagram or Facebook or, or social from e-tailers, but on LinkedIn, there's far less targeting for, for business-to-business purchases, but there's a lot of the same tools there that you can you can build brand. Um, Andy, Tom, anything to kind of add on that? Yeah, I think the, the point I think you, you both have made about like building those relationships, for example, um, is really important. And from a performance standpoint, one of the best ways that we can do that is quite simply through remarketing and um, tailoring content to different users, um, depending on, on what type of user they are and therefore what type of content resonates with them. I think the remarketing piece is, is really important to make sure that you are front of mind. But what that's underpinned by is, is simply using your, your customer data, using your first party data to make 
sure you're delivering that message at the right time to the right user. I also think that there's a, a big part of this if we kind of think more broadly about the importance of first party data and what that means like in terms of the, the cookie-less future. Um, being able to leverage first party data has its benefits for re remarketing purposes, but it's also how your B2B business long term is going to be able to to market your products to, to key customers and also use those um, customer lists that you have to create things like lookalikes or, or similar audiences that you can target more of those types of users. So I think that the building relationship piece and remarketing is, is important for right now um, and it will continue to be so. But also if we think um, longer term, what does it mean in terms of customer data and first party data? It's really the, the future in terms of how we, how we take our data to, to market to the relevant people. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, and when I think first party and third party, I know um, there's a lot of jargon and, and, and terminology there. I know we've done some work before where we've worked with a lot of business-to-business -business clients and they might have worked with another agency before and they had great conversions going through, but that didn't really, conversions weren't really turning into marketing qualified leads, sales qualified leads and conversions. And actually, even if they were, and it was more of an e-commerce site, the average order values were really low. So being able to actually look at lifetime values on the business to business side, and you see this a bit on the e-tail side, don't you? You see more and more e-tailers look at like cost of returns, repeat purchasing patterns, et cetera, et cetera. We can learn a lot from e-tailers and apply that to the to the B2B side. Andy, anything to add on that at all? Well, I, I suppose I add, and I also see it slightly differently, I suppose, because um, demand generation is important. There's no question about that, but it doesn't happen in such a seasonal way in, in my experience. And so the way the customer journey plays out, certainly what I've seen over the last 15 years, whatever, in, in B2B, is that typically a business buyer will be unhappy with a supplier and then they start looking for something else or they are getting to another area of business where they haven't got suppliers and they're looking for products and so product searches typically will start online and then that's when what tom and james are saying is important so that they find your brand but i'd describe most of those times as a distress or a crisis purchase because they're in a new scenario they're looking for a new supplier they then may well buy a couple of things off you or a basket of goods and then it's all about the service of your staff and, and this is why i see the distinct difference between e-tailers and traditional b2b businesses who've got you know staff with expertise lots of experience longevity of service um really up on on how to treat customers and, and they understand their business very well and also they've got a lot of internal loyalty so they talk well about their business and then they say to the customer right You've got these things. What else do you need? How do you build a relationship? You want to open an account and continue trading with us because you know, what I recognize is that in the B2B space is you will get customers once they're on board and they've got a, a trading account with the business, they could be spending five, 10, 50, 100,000 a month, month in, month out for a period of five or 10 years and maybe even longer. And when you've got those customers, for me, the, the importance is all about the service, and that's people at the back of it all. But give them the tools like great telephone system, 
good email system, but of course, a great e-commerce system and, and your access to their accounts on top of that. The, the only time is if you're looking to do the aggressive sort of marketing that you'd get with an e-tailer is when you are seeking to get your customer base built enormously because you know, the beauty of B2B businesses is that a lot of it is it's not subscription revenue, but it's very, very similar. Unless you upset people, the chance of them leaving you are pretty low. And so for me, it's much more around that traditional piece following on from all the, the good digital stuff at the start to, to make sure you're found, frankly, for, at, at the very early days. Right, so yes, it's making sure your you kind of offline experience marries up online from your perspective, Andy. If, if a business-to-business buyer is looking to leave, make sure you offer them that great offline customer experience with your online to make yeah. sure you retain them and grow them moving forward. Yeah, totally. People's biggest fears are if they start a trading relationship with another company is are they going to deliver the product? Are they going to steal my credit card details or worse, still my personal details? So if you make an account application, you're looking at date of birth and maybe, you know, identifiers like uh, utility bill, much more in-depth exposure of personal data than you get with retail. And therefore, you could lose that data or use it for nefarious means. And so those big fears are, are they going to steal my data? Will they deliver the goods? Can I get a refund or exchange if it's wrong? And so for me, that all that service sits at the back of that. And that is far deeper than, and than a very um, two-dimensional you know, online marketing campaign that you might see with a, with a, a pure play retailer. Yeah, got you, got you. Um, so... We touched on a little bit, James, you touched on there a little bit, kind of top of funnel, make sure that you're building brand because that's increasingly important. And you know, you said when an inquiry comes in at that at the bottom of the funnel, let's make sure we offer that great offline experience. In between that, Tom, would you be able to speak a little bit about, you know, we've built a brand, they're kind of aware of us, but as Andy said there, they go through that crisis moment. They're a business-to-business um, uh, customer and they make an inquiry online or they're looking for an informational search rather than brand. Maybe that brand work hasn't really cemented in the mind um, and they have a search. How can we make sure that we're, that we're present with uh, potential prospects who are looking to solve a business-to-business buying issue? Yeah, I think um, there's so much that we can um, learn from e-tailers when it comes to um, how we're marketing and using the likes of Google um, for kind of B2B buyers. I think one of the, the big things to consider is B2B buyers are far more informed than, for example, regular consumers or, or customers. Um, I believe there's a, a Forrester kind of report that shows that 90% of a, of a customer journey for a B2B um, prospect by the time they've landed on your website they've done the homework they they ultimately know what they're looking for so that really signifies the importance of making sure that um, things like product descriptions and, and product specifications are like exactly what um, a b2b prospect or buyer is looking to um, kind of gain now we can take a lot of those principles from um, the e-tailers for example with google shopping which is a, a channel that is underpinned by but what underpins its success is about being able to provide high quality data to browsing it and searching users. 
So that component is really important when we kind of relate it to the, the B2B buyer landscape to make sure that things like the information about the products that you're selling are increasingly um, specified and, and important because it, it ultimately underpins how they are going to inquire or purchase from your, your website. I think when we're looking at that from a, from a targeting standpoint, if we we think quite simply about the ads that we're looking to um, deliver on, on Google, for example. Things like responsive search ads, which are the, the latest um, kind of update we've seen from Google, which allows us to deliver a variety of, of headlines and descriptions to users, depending on what type of, of content resonates best with them. So therefore, focusing on things like bulk and, and wholesale as part of that, how we're delivering that message it is really important to, to target customers. Um, LinkedIn with that also, quite simply, is the keyword targeting to make sure that the searches that um, B2B buyers are, are making, we're able to target and go after. Now, that in a really simple way means that we have to make sure our things like our keyword research are um, fully built out and developed so that we can target them. But also, we have to consider one of the big stats that we, we hear from Google, that 15% of searches that happen every day are and new, they're unique, they've, they've never happened before. So that really signifies the importance from a B2B buyer um, landscape as, as things are changing, as purchase, purchase pathways are getting more complex, how people are searching and what they're searching is very different. So leveraging technology such as Broadmatch within Google Ads enables us to acquire those um, you know, users to land on the site. And then if we think about the intent behind that, that B2B buyer, it increases significantly our chances of converting that user, but also it's about how do we scale growth. It is one of the, the big components to that, being able to take advantage of um, things like that are coming out from Google, for example, with the, the updated responsive search ads, but also broad match factoring in um, how many new and unique searches happen every day. Very much linked um, within that in terms of um, getting the, the right user to, to the site and converting them, and going back to the point I made at the start, in one of the, the big points that we can learn from um, e-tailers is about the profit-focused um, nature in which that we, we run activity. So in, in a retail or an e-tail um, sort of scenario, we're always very conscious about the types of bids that we're placing on specific products or services and users. Those same principles need to be applied from a B2B context to make sure that in, in a simple way, the activity that is being run is scalable because if the bids and the budget is not with that in mind and you aren't targeting the right users, um, etc., it means that the, the marketing activity isn't going to be able to scale and, and, and ultimately drive the results that is needed um, to kind of yeah, achieve the business objectives. Yeah, yeah, makes perfect sense. And I think as well, you do often think you, you do that keyword research, you look at how what the buying trends are of you after you've done your segmentation and your targeting, you've built your brand and you think, great, this is how our customers are searching. But I think a lot of people forget, well, they might be searching, but they're not converting. Um, and I haven't heard that stat before, 15% on new searches. I suppose that's changing every quarter, every six months. So keeping an eye on that and making sure that you you following those trends are are really key. Um, thanks for that, Tom. Uh, Andy James, anything to add on on, on mid funnel before we get on to landing on the on the website? 
Um, I mean, just a, just a quick one for from my side. I think like it touches on that on, on social. Obviously, the the we're we're trying to develop that intent. And I think one of the key things is, is actually making sure that we're segmenting and, and, and engaging the, the retargeting audiences in the right way, looking for looking for value and providing value at each stage. And don't forget about like um, I think Andy touched on it a little bit earlier in terms of customer experience is much bigger for B two B businesses because it, it it does involve more processes. There's more people involved. So don't like you can use your social stuff to not only like. And nurture and acquire, but also like uh, retain and, and re-engage and, and, and cross-sell. Thinking about like how do we make that journey better for the customer? If we've already got an audience who's buying one set of products, and we know that this product set goes very well with, uh, if they're buying uh, like computers every every quarter or something like like we have peripherals for that that we can engage them with and, and, and sort of cross-sell into that. And I think. Just understanding your audience, understanding your buyer's needs, and, and utilizing those little things to, to provide that extra bit of value through like really engaged retargeting and, and, and drill down into the content that that user wants to see is, is, is very important. Yeah, I, I, I remember in lockdown, I bought a ridiculous amount of trainers for someone who didn't leave the house. And it was specifically from JD Sports, so shout out to JD Sports for that. But then I get targeted with sort of, yeah, the, they've clearly put me in a demographic, which is like 40 plus uh, trainers. So I get hit with Stan Smith's constantly um, in the full array. And I always think that's a, it's a great way of doing it. They know I'm a customer. They're obviously remarketing to me. They're giving me the breadth, but we don't necessarily see that too much when we're on LinkedIn or we're on other platforms for business to business products. So really interesting one there, James. So, We've talked about the brand, really important to build brand and, and memory links and relevance um, at the top of the funnel. And we can do that through a number of different platforms. It's really important to have a look at um, at being there in search, mid-funnel, Tom, some great points there. Andy, what about um, optimizing your website for a B2B e-commerce uh, purchase so that we have uh, the customer is aware of us, they feel like they trust us. And uh, when they've had that crisis, as you've explained, they've searched for us, we're there. And there's an advert at the top of the click through. You land on a business to business e-commerce purchase. How, how would you approach optimizing a, a, a website for those customers? Well, it's, it's really about thinking beyond a product search and thinking about how you portray your value of your service online. And so everything that you could do in store or in branch, you should be able to do through the website at least as much as possible because people just, you know, the, the, the saying I've got is, is convenience is the new loyalty. And um, I didn't coin it. It's just one that I've picked up over the years, which is you know very, very relevant because if you think about a B2B buyer's profile, their time costs money. Now they're looking to purchase stuff. Now shopping process, as in it's fun going out looking for, let's say, you know, a new car or an item of clothing or something like that, is part of the search is part of the fun. And people may search for many, many hours and, and not actually find anything they want to buy. But a B2B buyer, they've got a problem they need solving. And the problem, the longer it takes to solve that problem, the more it costs them. And so the cost of the goods go up for every minute that passes in their, in their mind because it's stopping them from doing something else or actually finishing a job off or whatever it is they're trying to do. So, you know, for me, when you're visiting a B2B commerce site, you 
also need to portray all the other things that the business does, like the service delivery, for example, or the fact they've got stock on the ground. You know, coming back to to Google, uh, there's a place for Google in all this, but the most important service that Google provides for a B2B business, in my mind, in its locality, is to expose the amount of stock they've got at the place that's closest to you. So I can literally drive there in 10 minutes, pick it up and continue with that, that task that I was doing because that will never get beaten by Amazon. You know, they won't be able to have that locality. And so this is the space I advise people to compete in is a hyper-local level, exposure stock levels, um, shout about your delivery proposition, shout about the fact that you offer accounts and all those sorts of things alongside product, because that for me is the whole product offering and service of a B2B business. And again, that, that's very, very different from what retail is ultimately. Oh, okay. And then you were... We we were had a quick uh, pre call and we were chatting through, and you were saying sometimes for business to business purchases there can be a little bit of internal competition. So I've came, I've landed on the website, I've I've transacted, and that sales kind of gone through. You mentioned early earlier aligning your your offline experiences. You mentioned. Um, about making sure that your internal customer service teams and sales teams are bought into e-tail sales too. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so one of the things I've seen over the years is is a mentality amongst the senior leadership team to say, right, we've you know, the business has invested in a new e-commerce site, we've put a new team together. They're probably quite different from the people who might work in a traditional branch. Typically, they'll be younger and more diverse. And there's a mentality amongst some of these leaders to say, well, the existing customer the existing staff have done nothing to win that sale you know there might be new sales or whatever else but of course they don't reward them for that then and what happens is they build an internal competitor because everybody in the branch sees this e-commerce site being the thing that's going to put them all out of a job and the reason the management team have put it in place is because they want to get rid of all the staff cut the wage bill and basically turn themselves into a super automated you know efficient business and that's an absolute disaster because you will never be able to afford the amount of pay-per-click and SEO to compensate for your staff killing your business from the inside. Now, when um, Dixon's got into the web in about 95, 96, they had that exact scenario. And the staff would tell customers that you couldn't take products back to a store. The delivery drivers didn't work for them. They'll turn up damaged. They don't care. You know, if you try and switch it for something here, we, we won't do it for you. It's a completely separate business. And they did that all on the quiet. So it was basically subversive terrorism going on in the business. And it took them months and months and loads of secret shopping to realize this was going on. And then when they did, and then they bonused their store staff on web sales, it became the biggest branch in their business in a matter of a couple of months. And that is the same for every other business. So culture is the big thing that you need to work on. Now, what happens when you change the culture and say, right, let's be pragmatic and give our offline staff bonus with online sales as well as offline, and you give more T-shirts to say, you know, trade online, you've got another channel, convenience, all that sort of stuff. What happens is that the really savvy um, workers in your business, they start to think, hang on a minute, I can service, I don't know, let's say 100 customers a week face-to-face. But actually, if I can push 20% of them to service themselves online, I can actually service 110 or 120. And therefore, my bonus opportunity increases 
And if I could get all my offline customers to, to trade online, then maybe I can serve 180 or even 200. And, and so I can do more with less. And what that means is actually my job as an on, offline person who's pushing people online and doing both pieces, the value to me of the business has just increased. And, and also the businesses having a lower cost to serve there comes less, uh, more profitable and can afford to pay bonuses and higher wages and all the rest of it. So, you know, it's it's a really, um, it, it, one supports the other. But, you know, I always use the fishing analogy. If you think about your e-commerce site being a, a person with a fishing rod and your branch team is somebody with a net, if you don't know anything about fishing, you know that those two people working together will always take more fish home than one of those people working alone. And that's the way you got to think about this. It's good. Great analogy. Thank you very much, Andy. Well, I think we're running a little bit out of time. That last sort of 20 minutes is, is shot by. If I can try to, to summarise some of those points and then I'll pass over to you guys for, for sort of final comments. I think... We've said, look, e-tailers are, alongside many finance businesses, are very forward-thinking and digital. And it's probably good not just for B2B marketers, but for all marketers to keep an eye on e-tailers and how they approach the digital marketplace because they're always forward-thinking. They're always um, adopting new technologies. So um, I think that's a good one. Um, building awareness is really important and building your brand is key. If anyone hasn't read the um, Ehrenberg Bass research um, for the uh, LinkedIn B2B Institute, have a Google, have a look. That's really, really interesting. There's a lot of conversations going on there about the importance of building brand in the B2B space, um, which is pretty key. We've talked about being there in search in the mid funnel, um, huge amount of deep dive into there, Tom uh, and James talking about really keeping ahead, uh, keeping your eye on search trends um, there, which is great. Um, Andy, you touched on aligning offline and online experience, making sure that the culture's there to support your offline customer experiences and your sales teams, which I think is key. We've talked a bit about um, your mid-funnel strategy, about buying trends, responsive ads, using your data for conversions to remarket, to um, to your customers. And then, as Andy, I think you touched on some great points around convenience being the new loyalty, um, making sure it's a great experience to buy from and ensuring that it, whether it's an e-commerce portal or if it's a customer portal, that making it really easy to go back and repeat purchase. And remember, you've got probably someone else who can give a great experience offline, align that, but make sure your digital experience is, is just as good. And when you've captured that customer, I'm sure we'd all agree, that's the time where the real work starts and you want to retain them, keep them happy, offer value there. So guys, thanks very much for all of your input and your chat today. Um, James, any any final comments from you? Um, I, I just I just say similar to you. Don't forget to focus on that the ninety five percent of users that aren't in market just just yet, um, and make sure that you align the content to to sort of fit with those buyer cycles and, and and deliver content that's relevant to the user, not just selling the pro the product when we're when we're at that stage, because you'll find you're a step ahead of all the comp of competition when it gets to when it gets to that point where they do enter the market and start to start to be looking uh, for, for those products. Right, Tom, 
any any final comments? Yeah, I think just that the final thing for me is that like I've seen firsthand that the 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 step up in terms of technology available from the likes of Google is significant, and where that is moving increasingly more towards is things like value-based bidding. So we're assigning clear values to different users, audiences, and uh, in, in, in purchases. Um, and that really is going to be the, the future for, for all of marketing. But I think it's an area specifically that B2B, um, it, it kind of, that, that's increasingly important to, to take that on board. And ultimately, all that is underpinned by is being able to um, leverage your own, your own data. Thanks, Tom. And Andy, I'll, I'll leave the last word for yourself. Well, I think it's just a thing I'd, I'd point out is that um, if you're in a space where B2B isn't that prevalent yet, as I am, you know, it's 3% online, don't be fooled to thinking that's the demand of the market. The market's there. It's just that most businesses haven't built out the experience to capture it. And the first people who do will win it. Now, the B2B opportunity in the market will dwarf retail. It's absolutely astronomical. You know, you, you, you average... Um, uh, a customer's wallet, you know, you could be looking at hundreds of thousands of pounds a year. Now, only the most um, high-spending fashion buyers at a retail space spend anything like that. So the B2B market, once you've won that customer, and the cost of acquisition usually is significant in retail, in B2B it can be minuscule. you just got to look after them and make sure you do everything you can and drop your cost to serve because people want to trade online and it's just easier for them. And as they get younger in the workforce, it's just going to be more natural for them. So that's the, the thing to do is try and disrupt your own business actually before a retailer does, because the only reason they exist in the spaces where B2B has traditionally been strong is because we've sat back and watched the parade go by and let them do it. Thank you very much, Andy and Andy. Thanks for joining us. Tom, James, thanks very much for your comments and everyone who joined us uh, and has listened on the podcast. Thanks for joining uh, the MediaWorks Digital Masterclass and we will um, see you hopefully next week.